Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the divisional and the conference championship rounds. I will be discussing Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. Then I'll be talking about the NBA, what's going on in the association. Then we will have our best for last. Now, remember, the show comes out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, so don't forget to subscribe on both and to tell your friends about us. Also, we have the Twitter page at JTime Sports, I repeat, at JTime Sports, which is covering breaking news on NBA, NFL, college football, and the sports world in general. We also have updates there when the show is going to come out, when the show is out, but it's mostly a breaking news site, and it's a one-stop shop for all of your favorite sports. So do not forget to follow that and to tell your friends about that. Now, sit back and get ready to learn something. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the show. Like I said last week, I want to thank you guys for helping the show become one of the fastest growing sports podcasts in the country. We are flying up the rankings. Uh, one, of, Like I said, one of the fastest growing shows in just a few months of even having the show. Although uh, we are nearing our one year anniversary in a few months. It's not even been a year yet, and we're already flying up the rankings. So I want to thank you guys for that. I definitely appreciate it, and it cannot be done without you guys. But let's get into business. What a crazy divisional round in the NFL. Honestly, I wouldn't have expected anything differently because, you know, we got the first round was crazy with the wild card round. So, of course, the repeat, or I should say the redo of the divisional round, the second round of the playoffs had to be just as wild, just as spectacular, just as storyline filled, and just as absurd and maddening as the wild card round. The first ever Super Wild Card weekend, I wouldn't have expected anything less from the divisional round, and it delivered. So we're gonna start with the AFC. We have Bills and Ravens were was the first AFC game. And it delivered. Um, it was a little bit of a disappointment if you were expecting this big Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen battle where they just went at it. And, you know, Lamar goes for 300 all-purpose yards, you know, getting the Tennessee monkey off his back. And he just plays freely. Or you're expecting Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs to go bombs away and Allen to go for 300-plus passing yards and goes for absolute shootout. Instead, the defense came to play. Both coaches having defensive backgrounds really showed up. The Baltimore Ravens, led by on defense by Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, held Josh Allen and a pretty potent uh, Buffalo Bills attack to 17 points. Now, the weather helped. It was a swirling windstorm. You even saw that with a couple of, and I do say a couple, of Justin Tucker missed field goals where he nailed the uprights. I mean, just six inches to the right or the left. He not, he bangs them through, but he was he nailed the uprights a couple of times. You saw Josh Allen missed a couple of deep balls that he normally hits. The wind was swirling through uh, Buffalo Stadium, through Orchard Park, and you, it definitely affected the Buffalo Bills downfield attack. As for the Ravens, it affected them even worse, in my opinion, because now the Bills aren't afraid of you going deep. They're just not, because Lamar Jackson beating you deep it's something that you're not particularly worried about on an average day anyway. Maybe he gets one or two deep balls off, but one of them is probably inaccurate. You can probably intercept it. And the other one is probably going to be a decent pass, but it probably won't be perfectly thrown and you can make the play. And so with the howling winds in Buffalo, it was really difficult for either quarterback to push the ball down the field. Buffalo can't run the ball. They already weren't the best rushing team in the NFL to begin with. And then they lost Zach Moss in the Indianapolis Colts game. And so since they lost Moss, their run game has all but been, well, Josh Allen, pretty much. And if Josh Allen's not rushing the ball, they don't have much of an attack. And so Buffalo was really struggling to get the ball down the field due to the win. And Baltimore was able to sit on routes trying to jump them because they weren't afraid of the rushing game from Buffalo. 
Ravens fans. Look, I said this a while ago. I got some pushback. I did. Got some pushback. Popular opinion, it was not. You have a Lamar problem. Well, well, Justin, why do you say we have a Lamar problem? He's won an MVP, and he does this, and we don't have any weapons. But Greg Roman is the same Greg Roman who Lamar won the MVP with. But the weapons are the same weapons that he thrashes people with in the regular season. But the scheme is the same scheme that he dominates in to begin with. And then magically, when he doesn't play well, keyword he doesn't play well, it's all of a sudden Greg Roman's fault. The weapons aren't there. Um, The offensive line isn't good. He has to do too much. It's the same team. Now, do I uh, do I think that Greg Roman is the perfect coordinator for Lamar Jackson? No, I do not. I think Lamar could benefit from more of a Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan type, something that'll do control passes across the middle. Think about it. Garoppolo hit George Kittle a lot for a reason. Sean McVay hits Tyler Higby a lot for a reason because they like those tight ends. They like running the ball in a more traditional fashion. You give Shanahan or Sean McVay a Lamar Jackson type, he can get out the pocket, really, really move the pocket, really put Lamar Jackson as a threat to run every play. It would be a lot more beneficial to Lamar. I agree. Having Hollywood Brown as a number one receiver or Willie Sneed as a number one receiver isn't ideal. I agree. But I said it after the Tennessee game. Lamar Jackson didn't play particularly well and they won. And so the whole world was like, oh, Lamar got the monkey off his back. Because, you know, they won a playoff game under his leadership, under his stewardship. No, they won it because, well, the Tennessee Titans came out, or I should say Baltimore Ravens came out with the mindset of Henry's not beating us and dared Ryan Sandhill to beat them. And if it wasn't for A.J. Brown's body finally quitting on him, he probably beats the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar is 0-3 in the playoffs instead of 1-3 in the playoffs. You have a Lamar problem. If your weapons are bad now and he's making peanuts, he's going to get an extension either this offseason or next offseason. And it's going to be in the $35 million a year range, in my opinion. If he, I mean, if he gets anything less than five years, 180, I would be flabbergasted. Your weapons are going to go down. Ronnie Staley's extension is going to kick in very soon. You're going to have to sign those young defensive players eventually. You have a Lamar problem and you have a Lamar decision. I'm not saying trade him definitively. I'm not. I won't be that blasphemous. But what I am saying is you should think about it. Or I would go to him and straight up offer a very unique deal. Something along the lines of, hey, you know, let's give you a X amount of percent of the cap. So we know your number is 16%. We know for a fact your number is 16% of the cap. We know for a fact your number is 17.5% of the cap. Or incentive laden the hell out of it. Playoff wins jump you way through the roof. You know, if it's just a standard contract, I say $27 million a year incentivized with the 40. But I cannot, you cannot go paying him $27 million more than what he's making now. Because then that's what two Pro Bowl players on the team already lacking, already having a dearth of talent at the skill positions, according to fans, when he plays poorly. But congratulations to the Bills making their first conference title game in over 25 years. Uh, they are having their most successful season since the since the era of the K Gun. So congratulations to the Bills. Shifting to the most interesting game more than likely of the weekend i can't think of another game honestly that had more ups downs twists turns lefts rights backwards forwards sideways slant ways than the kansas city chiefs and the cleveland browns this game literally had everything besides a special teams touchdown pretty much had everything it had a superstar quarterback on a speed option in today's NFL, score a touchdown, and then chuck the ball nearly out of the stadium. It had that same star quarterback go out with a concussion that's later believed to be a choke out, that's later believed to be a loss of blood circulation, but he's still in concussion protocols. 
it had a backup quarterback on third and 13 run, or third and 14 run for 13 and a half yards, and it would do sprint right Z option on fourth and one, basically in the middle of the field, and convert to win. It had Baker Mayfield turn back into, well, Baker Mayfield, the clock struck 12, and the carriage turned back into a pumpkin, and the horse turned back into a donkey, and the dress the turned back into rags. And Baker Mayfield turned back into Baker Mayfield. It had revenge games for Kareem Hunt. I mean, it was spectacular. It even had a Honey Badger interception. Nearly two. But it had a Honey Badger interception. This game had everything. Browns and Chiefs were absolutely spectacular. It set the plate perfectly for the second game of the day, which was the Bucks and Saints. But we're going to talk about the Chiefs and Browns right now. The Kansas City Chiefs won that football game. And Patrick Mahomes missed 22 minutes of it. 22 minutes of the game. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes was in concussion protocol and out. Baker Mayfield's opponent at quarterback was Chad Henney. Yes, that's Chad Henney. The first quarterback in Michigan history to start as a freshman in like 40 years. The Chad Henney who wasn't the answer in Miami. And other places he's been, he just wasn't the guy that Chad Haney. Chad Haney gifted you a punt through an end zone for no reason. Interception by Carl Joseph, you know, first and 10 Browns ball down five. And what do you do? You three and out, but you got lucky and you get another chance at it. And you punt. And then. And then you never see the ball again because Andy Reid has the biggest cojones in coaching. I mean, I turn around when you think they were going to run the play. Nobody sitting at home was going to run the play. I mean, if you knew if they were going to run the play, you knew it was sprint right option. I mean, that was that is the West Coast play. Shannon Sharps talked about it. All the West Coast guys have talked about it. That is the short yardest play, sprint right option. The problem with that is it's pretty much hard to stop if aligned properly and other other stuff. But sprint right option is the play. That's the play the catch was made. Joe Montana to Dwight Clark uh, was made from sprint right option on a broken play. Montana's right out of field, chucked it. You, you know the play. But Cleveland, I'm going to give you the same message I just gave Baltimore. You have a problem. You have a Baker problem. Now, your problem is bigger than Baltimore's problem. Because Baltimore's problem is from a dearth of weapons around Lamar getting worse. I mean, it kind of can't get worse than Willie Sneed and Hollywood Brown Baker, number one and number two. No disrespect to either one of those guys, but they're not Allen Robinson. They're not Amari Cooper. They're not Michael Thomas. They're not DeAndre Hopkins. They're not Devontae Adams. They're not Adam Lazard. They're not Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. They're not one of the Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. They're not in the elite group of receiving cores by any means in Baltimore. Cleveland on the roster currently, no, I'm not kidding, have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Austin Hooper, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, two good tackles, um, amazing guard in Joe Petonio. You have Miles Garrett and that defense. You got Carl Joseph. You got corners coming back from next season because the draft they were hurting offseason. And Baker's making number one of our pick money. Not bad money. But it doesn't even average out $10 million a year. He's going to walk into the Cleveland office and ask for 32 to 35. I mean, hell, he might ask for 38, but he's not going to get it. But he'll probably hit between 32 and 35. That means one of those receivers are gone, which is probably Odell. So that's one of your problems are gone. David Njoku, Austin Hooper has to go. One of those running backs are gone because Kareem, Hunt, Kareem Hunt's already signed, but one of those backs are going to have to go. You already have a Baker problem. He's not that good. Honestly, he was ranked, I believe, the 13th or 14th best quarterback in the NFL. That's about right. I probably have him around 15 or 16, but that's about right. And you're going to pay that 32 to $35 million. You know the last team that did that? Rams. The last team to give their quarterback a lot of money, and he was really average, was the Rams. And now they've already gotten rid of Ty Gurley. They're trying to find a way to get out from under Jared Goff. 
Sean McVay's over the Jared Goff thing. He's completely over it. Oh, also, the 49ers with Garoppolo. Garoppolo's missed more games than he's played, and the 49ers want to move on. I don't care what they tell you. They're what they want to move on. They're doing their best to move on. You have a Baker problem. How you choose to solve it, it's up to you. But you have a league, you have a slightly above league average quarterback, and is going to want to command elite money. That's a recipe for disaster. But Justin, what about Carson Wentz? Carson Wentz blows his knee one game later, and he's the MVP of the 2017 season. Carson Wentz and Baker Mayfield are not the same. Carson Wentz has physical attributes that make that blow Bakers out of the water. He's Jared Goff. He's Case Keenum. Case Keenum and Jared Goff don't deserve to combine make $35 million. Baker's probably going to walk in the Cleveland office and ask for 38. It'll probably get settled around 33, 34. Then they will start losing pieces and you will start getting people traded and the Cleveland Browns have a Baker problem. They need to solve it quickly. In a free world, Baker might might get an offer from me of 27 to 30 million dollars. Maybe. And it would be short. It would be three years and it would have a lot of incentives in it. But 35, 36, it's insanity. So Cleveland, you better figure out that Baker issue quickly. As for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, he's progressing through the concussion protocol. He's on track to play Sunday. I mean, if there were, if the reports from people like Jay Glazer to believe he never was concussed, and he said he had basically he got the wrong two arteries pinched in his neck and he lost blood flow, and was woozy and dizzy and all that stuff because he lost blood flow. That would explain why he was running to the locker room and stuff like that. He wasn't concussed. I mean, his blood came back. He was perfectly fine. Um, but you know, when you see a quarterback or any player stumbling around the field. If he was trying to get his blood back, then he's not coming back in the game. So uh, he's progressing through that. Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Sammy Watkins are also progressing through their respective rehabs and are trying to play on Sunday against the Bills. Uh, they, they host the Bills, obviously, in the AFC Championship game. Now, shifting to the NFC, we have Packers, Rams, and Bucks, and Saints. We're going to start off with Packers-Rams since that was the game that I can do more succinctly and honestly was the first game that they played in the NFC. So with the Packers and the Rams, I spoke about it last week. I didn't expect it to be relatively close. You had Aaron Donald coming in hobbled. You had Jared Goff, who, like I spoke about it last segment, ain't that great. And so he was coming in injured, wearing two gloves, three pins in his throwing thumb. It was cold. It was Lambeau. Yes, it wasn't frozen, but it was frigid. And you had a team in Aaron Rodgers who he is staring at absolutely winning right now. He's staring at he got what he wanted. Like I said, he got his two he got his two playoff games at home to get to the Super Bowl. He got the frozen tundra. He got his coach. He got Devontae Adams. Hell, he's talking now like it's easy breezy cover girl out there on the field because he is absolutely ready to go and they showed that uh, the game was actually more nip and tuck than the final score would suggest uh betters were very happy with alan lazard when he scored the touchdown to get the packers the over but the game was more nip and tuck than like i said the scoreboard would suggest jared goff actually played well um the rams number one defense was a letdown and that's my primarily due to Aaron Donald. He only flashed on my screen four times throughout the game. One was getting a 15-yard personal foul penalty. One was grabbing on Aaron Rodgers' jersey that Rodgers threw a great pass. And the other two were standing on the sideline when they showed him for long seconds between plays, standing on the sideline, clearly like he just couldn't go. And so when that happens, you put guys like Jalen Ramsey and the rest of that defense in a bind because they're used to Aaron Donald collapsing a pocket in two, two and a half seconds. So you can jump the first cut or jump the second cut if you know it's a double move because they quarterback did not have time to get the ball out because Donald was coming. Donald would get doubled. Then you would get guys coming one on one. 
So the whole defense was affected by Aaron Donald's lack of ability to truly be Aaron Donald. And so even though Jared Goff played very efficiently, even though that everything was done well on the Rams offensive side of the ball, Sean McVay even called an aggressive game plan. It was something that had to be a fixture for the Rams to try and get better. The Packers played a better football game. They had a better strategy coming out. They had more talent. Hell, they won the game. So Rodgers gets to advance and host the NFC Championship game for the first time in his career. And he is definitely prepared for that. You can tell. Him and Devontae were on a good wavelength. They even got Jalen Ramsey yelling at other people in the secondary because Ramsey got burned on a jet sweep comeback. And then it was it was it was a beautiful route. A beautiful play design. Uh, he threw a ball to Devontae Adams on a dead sprint, running away from a corner, trying to chase him, who had just chased him across the field in a previous motion. It's absolutely spectacular. So that was an amazing play design by Matt LaFleur. Um, but good job, Packers. It was a great game. A little bit of a snoozer. I'm going to be honest. This is the most snooziest of the games. Bills-Ravens was a good game if you were a defensive guy. Um, but this game was decently snoozy. Now, it had some moments there. Like when the Rams started charging back or when the Rams ran hook and ladder. That was nice. Uh, it had some good moments in there. Jerry Goff definitely battled. Is he trying to save his job as crazy as that sounds? That Jared Goff's trying to save his job with the Rams. And that was an absolutely good thing to watch the Rams battle in the scrap. They, but they just weren't good enough for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, that was the easiest game of the weekend to predict, in my opinion. Uh, the Rams, I mean, they just didn't have enough talent to go against the Packers. So congratulations to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers for advancing to the NFC Championship game. But the game everybody was waiting on. The Geriatric Bowl. The AARP Classic, the old man battle, the the battle of the muskets. It was Tom Brady, 43 years old. It was newly turned 42-year-old Drew Brees. Combined, they have 85 years of life. Every single passing record there is to a half besides interceptions. They literally had everything except great games on Sunday. Um, the Bucks did a number on Drew Brees, forcing three interceptions and forcing a huge Jared Cook fumble to force a total of four interceptions on the New Orleans Saints, which is the complete opposite of their previous matchups. Previously, it was the Bucks getting massively run into the ground with turnovers and getting destroyed and run off the field. But instead, the Saints had that fate this time. The Saints were without Taysom Hill, then were without Latavius Murray, which forced Ty Montgomery to be the other running back, and it took away the packages for Taysom Hill. Now, Jameis Winston did come in and throw a beautiful deep ball on a play that Sean Payton stole from all of seven days before with the Chicago Bears uh, running it for Mitchell Trubisky. The Saints ran the exact same play, but for Jameis Winston. And so it should have worked for the Bears. It went right through Mims' arms. This time, the Saints receiver, which I believe was Traquan Smith, did not drop it. So congratulations to the Saints for running that perfectly well. Uh, as for the best player on the field, it was Devin White, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. He was the best player on either side of the ball for either team. Um, Antonio Brown suffered a minor knee injury. He only had one catch. Mike Evans only had two or three catches. Gronk had one catch. Cameron Bray and Leonard Fournette was the main receivers for the Tampa Bay Bucks, which saying Leonard Fournette and receiving is honestly, I can't explain that. He But <laughs> the Bucks and really spread the ball around with, like I said, Fournette, Cameron Bray, Chris Godwin got like one or two catches. So they were very methodical how they spread the ball around. The Bucks ran the ball. Holy crap. The Bucks ran the ball. They ran for about 130 total yards between Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. Both went, I think, 62 and 63 or 61 and 62. So just about 120, 130 yards between the two of them on the ground. Plus, like I said, Fournette had five or six catches. So that really was able to up the ante for the Bucks offense. As for the Saints offense, it looked like well, how it looks in the playoffs. Brandon Marshall says it all the time. He was in New Orleans, and he realized that 50% of the offense, he looked at the stats, but 
he realized in the offense when Drew Brees drops, gets the snap from center, he first looks at 13, which is Michael Thomas, and if 13 is not available, he goes straight to 41, which is Alvin Kamara. So you see a lot of the times that they'll drive all the way down the field. The only people to touch the ball is Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. And so that is something that NFL teams in the playoffs key on. They double Michael Thomas because they pretty much know his favorite routes. You've got the slant, you've got that deep end, and you've got like, um, he fakes the end and jumps back out because everybody knows he's running that end. He'll jerk back out to a go route. Well, more of a stop route with Breeze's arm strength, but more to a go route. So they double him and then they bracket out Kamara wherever he goes across the field. And it makes it really difficult for the Saints to adjust to start going over the Jerry Cooks of the world, the Emmanuel Sanders of the world, the Traquan Smiths of the world. Even they did a pretty good job of that in that game. But the Bucks were a better football team and they forced four turnovers, like I said earlier, and won the football game. And now I'm going to do something that I don't like doing. Um, I, I said it was time for Ben Roethlisberger to hang it up. Phillip Rivers, listen, Phillip Rivers walked away. He walked away having a pretty good last game. Hey, I'm done. I'm out. Going coach high school football. Congratulations, Phillip Rivers. It's time for Drew Brees to walk away. Look, what he did for the city of New Orleans, we did for the state of Louisiana, and that franchise will never go unnoticed. It will never go unappreciated. It will never be overlooked. Uh, when he joined right after Katrina, I mean, when he, I think he signed his name without a line, the Superdome still had a hole in the roof. Uh, so what he did for that city will never be underestimated. Super Bowl champion, like I said, all these passing records, giving the Saints an identity, giving the Saints a face. Helping rebuild and retool and reshape and re-identify the city, the state, and the franchise. But it's time to hang it up. We didn't know what his injuries were to the extent his wife, Brittany, ultimately put that out on Instagram. But we didn't know that he was playing with a torn rotator cup, a fascia issue in his foot, 11. We knew about the ribs and the lung. We didn't know about the other things. And having all those injuries... It's over. It's over for you, Drew. Congratulations on a hell of a career. Uh, you're definitely a top five to seven quarterback in the NFL in terms of history. And it's time for you to join Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, hopefully Ben Roethlisberger in the old home for retired quarterbacks, in the home of the ancient and the future Hall of Famers, not necessarily Phillip Rivers in that conversation. We'll talk about that later. Uh, so it is definitely something for you to do, Drew. Congratulations. And from every football fan, we thank you for what you did for the game. So thank you very much, Drew Brees, and happy retirement. Hopefully you announce it sooner rather than later. But up next, we're going to shift to the conference championship weekend in the NFL. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. That was officially our longest segment ever. Uh, I hope you guys definitely learned a lot in that last segment. But now we're going to stick to the NFL theme and move to the conference championship weekend, the second biggest weekend. Some may say third, depending on your opinions of the draft. But your second biggest weekend of the NFL season. We're going to start off in the AFC with the Chiefs and Bills. This game is huge. This game is spectacular. This game has the feeling of Brady Manning reincarnated. What I mean by that is one of these two will keep the other one from getting to prosperity. So it felt like Manning and Brady played every year when it got to the Super Bowl. A lot of times Brady won or when it got to the AFC Championship game. This is going to feel like that. Chiefs and Bills are going to keep somebody's going to keep the other one directly from making it further in the playoffs. Allen and Mahomes are the two best armed quarterbacks in the AFC. Justin Herbert has a has a right to fight for that. I just think he's one notch down from these two. These two are absolutely spectacular and special. Coaching staffs, Sean McDermott, defense versus Andy Reid's offense. Steve Spagnuolo's defense versus Brian Dable's offense. 
So it is going to be absolutely a coaching matchup. It is something great to watch. Now, this game has a little bit of history in it. The Kansas City Chiefs become the second franchise ever to host three consecutive conference championship games, joining the Philadelphia Eagles, who happens to be the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Andy Reid, who happens to be the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid. So Andy Reid is the first person ever to host three consecutive, he's the only person ever, sorry, to host three consecutive conference championship games. He's now done it in both conferences. So, huge congrats to Andy Reid for that. As opposed to the Buffalo Bills. Like I said, this is their best season since the K-Gun days with Jim Kelly when they went to four straight Super Bowls. And right now, they have a great defensive mind in Sean McDermott, who has a great culture. They have the best offensive coordinator or second best offensive coordinator in the game in Brian Dable, who doesn't have the questions Eric Bieniemy has. Eric Bieniemy has, well, how big of an impact is he really on the Chiefs, and they got Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, you know, caught most of the calls and diagrams, most of the plays. We all know that. So, how much of a coordinator is Eric Bieniemy? Well, Brian Dable is effectively the head coach of the offense because Sean McDermott. That's going to be a challenge for him whenever Dable gets a head coaching job. Is keeping a great offensive coordinator because McDermott is so focused on the defense that, like I said, with Dable, the offensive coordinator is effectively the head coach of the offense. So everything about the offense is on him. Maybe situationally McDermott may get involved, but in terms of play calling, designing, hell, I even be picking the players, that is all Brian Dable, who already said he will be back next season. So this is a huge game with obviously massive implications. And of course, the whole world is waiting on the health of Patrick Mahomes. So he's been progressing very well through the concussion protocol. Had this game been a Thursday night game, he would not have been able to make it just because the protocol lasts so long. I mean, it lasts about five to six days for the full protocol. And considering he was possibly concussed and would have entered protocol on Sunday or Monday, he would not have made it in time for a Thursday night game. However, with the game being a weekend game, he should be on track to play, especially if Jay Glazer is to believe that it was never a concussion, that it was a very unfortunate chokeout in essence. He lost blood flow, and that's what caused the stumbling and the woozy appearance and things of that nature. And the Chiefs could be getting back a couple of other weapons with Clyde edwards Lair and Sammy Watkins beginning to practice. Now, this game, man, it's a, it's a tough one to pick because the Chiefs have not played particularly well since a couple of drives over the last month. And the Chiefs really have not been, like I said, their top-notch self. And so they appear to be vulnerable, especially if you got to trot out Chad Henney. Now, what are the chances that Chad Henney starts this game? Let's start with zero and go from there. There's physically no way Patrick Mahomes is not jogging on the field in Arrowhead Stadium. However, there could be a situation where he doesn't finish the game. Outside of his head concussion, neck choke out thing, there is also the possibility that his foot is getting worse. His foot and his toe are getting worse. If it's turf toe, that's not going to heal because he's constantly moving on it. And so that's going to be just painful and annoying and nagging. I've heard guys say that they could put a steel plate in the shoe to make sure it doesn't bend. But how does that affect him throwing, stepping into his throws, things of that nature? It's not something simple as... Oh, he's you know running down the field as a running back, and you know as long as his feet can get in the right spot, he'll be okay. It's something that he has to plant and turn and twist and do what he has to do in the pocket in order to be himself because his footwork is already not great. So throwing off platform and things like that is what he has to do to be successful. So that'll be something to watch. On the Bills side of things, how the hell do you continue with all those weapons? You got Tre'Davious White. Who's your boundary corner? So how often will he be one-on-one -on -one with Travis Kelsey? The rest of your secondary is pretty good. You've got uh, the guy who ran the pickback. He's a solid player. The guy who ran the pickback against the Ravens. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, I believe is his name. He's a pretty good player. And you've got a couple of other good guys on the back end. Your front forward leaves something to be desired. Good against the run. Not great against the pass. So I wonder how much pressure they'll be able to apply to Patrick Mahomes to get him to move to see how that foot it feels and how that foot is 
able to flex and things of that nature to get him in a good spot. The Bills cannot run the ball, which is the Chiefs' real weakness on defense that they aren't great against the run. So you'll probably see Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, and the rest of that crew pinning their ears back and coming home because they know the odds of the Bills skirting around them with a little run play is pretty low. I mean, the Bills call 20 straight passes against the Baltimore Ravens. So they definitely have a rushing the ball problem, uh, mainly due to personnel, not necessarily due to scheme. And so it'll be very interesting to see if the Bills can take advantage of the Chiefs' lack of a run defense, even though their run offense isn't the greatest. Choosing a winner here was very difficult. I am going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs by about a field goal. By about a field goal. Uh, a little bit more than a field goal, maybe, but I would say by about a field goal, you know, from three to four. Um, no Mahomes, Bills all the way by about seven to ten. But with Mahomes, even with a little banged up foot, I'm going to go with the Chiefs by about three to four. Shifting to the NFC Championship game, the Green Bay Packers versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is Tampa Bay's first NFC Championship game appearance since 2002. And this is the Packers' back second appearance in as many years in the conference championship game. However, Aaron Rodgers' first time ever hosting it. This game has all kind of legacy implications. It has all kind of current implications, obviously. It could alter the course of several histories and change the outlook of several players, even people not necessarily involved in this game. This game is another goat-on-goat game. We had, you know, Breeze and Brady. Now we get Brady and Rodgers. We could possibly end up with Brady and Mahomes. But this is a situation where style on style, it didn't go well for the Packers the first time in Week 6. Now... The Bucks are probably telling their team, hey, we got our arse kicked by the Saints in week nine and turn around and beat them down in New Orleans in the playoffs. So clearly, it is not necessarily about what happened before. But at the same time, you did make Aaron Rodgers look human. He had the worst quarter of his life. He, was, he nearly threw two pick sixes. It wasn't great. The Buccaneers pressure got home, which is something that Aaron Rodgers usually is able to beat. He's usually very good against the pressure. You usually send the extra man. He finds where the extra man came from, and the ball goes right there. And so he's usually amazing against the pressure, but Todd Bowles is able to send it from different ways. He sent cornerback blitzes. He sent double corner. He sent linebacker corner. He sent double linebackers. He sent a safety. So he was able to mix and match his blitzes, which is something that Todd Bowles is going to do. He's going to blitz you. He's trying to blitz you into submission, but he's going to blitz you. And so that is something that Aaron Rodgers and the crew will have to account for. Now, that was Devontae Adams' first game back from injury. They had no Adam Lazard. So as far as the weaponry, the Packers have definitely upgraded in conditioning and talent since the Bucks played them. Now, on the Bucks side of things, they have to continue to run the ball. The Packers defensive coordinator Mike Pettin does not like to play base personnel. So, for instance, that's 43. Uh, sorry, that's 4-3, 3-4, That is the 4-4. He does not like to play the base coverages, base packages, I should say. He prefers to go to sub packages, which is dime or nickel, which is three cornerbacks or five defensive backs, six defensive backs and dime. Um, that's what he prefers to do. And so even when the Bucks ran two tight ends, in their last matchup, he decided to match it with six defensive backs, and the Bucks ran them off the field. So I expect the Bucks to come out to try and run the ball again, make Mike Patton come to a base defense. He does not like to play base defense. And if he decides to try and match it with speed just to overpower it and use Leonard Fournette, a.k.a. playoff Lenny, and Ronald Jones to really dominate the trenches against the Packers, who've played decently well against the run game the past few weeks, but we all know their struggles in the not-so-distant past against a physical run team. Obviously, when you look at the two quarterbacks, you've got both these guys trying to do something that is absolutely historic. For Aaron Rodgers, it is to get to the Super Bowl again and to put his name firmly in the discussion 
for one of the top five to seven quarterbacks in NFL history. For Tom Brady, he's trying to get to his 10th Super Bowl to win his seventh ring, this time the first one not in New England. And so it would really put a damper on the Bill Belichick train. And how Bill Belichick's the GOAT and all this other stuff, it would put a damper on that big time if Brady were to even go to the Super Bowl with Bruce Arians. Now, he has a great staff around him. He has a great supporting core around him, much better than what he had in New England as a New England fan. And trust me, I can vouch for it. He's never had anything like that, what he has in Tampa. But he's definitely taking advantage of it, having one of his career years, and he's playing out of his mind right now. This game is going to be on a very frigid day in Green Bay. There's a 60% chance of snow flurries. The temperature high will be in the mid-20s. And so the Bucks are going to have to do a quick temperature adjustment. Brady's used to it. Fine. Gronk's used to it. Fine. Even though Brady's already said his blood's already starting to thin and he never wants to live in the Northeast again, he can channel his way back into Brady of the New England, of the tuck rule game and games like that because he's been there before. And so Brady and Gronk have been there. Maybe there's a couple select other guys who has been there. But Antonio Brown as well played in Pittsburgh all those years. But Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, that was offensive lineman, Devin White, Levante David, those guys are used to the South and used to, you know, winter, quote unquote, being 55 degrees and not 24 degrees with snow. And so it'll definitely be a temperature adjustment. Devontae Adams always talks about how that's such a big advantage for the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers has mentioned it, too, which is why he wanted the playoff games in Lambeau to make teams have to come through the cold. But picking this game, it was head versus well, head, honestly. It's not even head versus heart. It's more of two half my brains are battling it out. It's going to be another close game. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Bucks here by about a field goal. Some of the score of the Chiefs and Bills. Uh, Chiefs and Bills, I would have it probably 31-28 or 34-31 in favor of the Chiefs. In the Packers-Bucks game, I would have it probably around 27-24. Um or 30 to 27 in favor of the Bucks. And then I would have the Bucks and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady would could be the home team or the road team, but he would be the home team by default because it would be played in Raymond J Stadium in Tampa and making him the first quarterback and making the Bucks the first team to ever host a Super Bowl. So that would be absolutely spectacular to see. And that would be a hell of a game in the Super Bowl with Brady and with Brady, who is the undisputed GOAT, and Mahomes, who's trying to make his case in the GOAT conversation, rising quickly in the Super Bowl in Tampa would be spectacular and a great way to end this COVID-wracked, brutal season. I mean, any, any of the games would be great, but that one would just have a lot of flair, as with Chiefs and Packers. That would just feel like an offensive show between the two most talented quarterbacks the league has ever seen. But up next, we'll be shifting to Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. Welcome back in. And now we're going to talk about Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. Now, if you guys have been riding with us all season since we first started doing this, the regular season was a bit rough. It just was. It wasn't great. I mean, the money lines would have been right, but the point spreads were not spectacular. But alas, we came all this way to get to this one day, and we went 4-0 last week. Congrats. Hoorah. Cheers applaud. I practically hear the 70,000 roaring fans cheering that we went 4-0. It was spectacular. It was great. It was what we had been building towards this entire time. We even had to suffer in 05-1 week last week. This was what we deserve, fans. We deserve this, my fellow friends. We deserve this moment. 4-0. It was amazing. I am practically jumping up and down right now. But alas, we cannot rest on our laurels because we have two games to pick from this week. Both have the exact same spread of minus three. Let's dive into it. Obviously, we have the Green Bay Packers hosting the Tampa Bay Bucks. Green Bay is getting the home field for minus three. 
I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay there because I think they'll win the game all right. So just a little parlay trick. If you're gonna pick an underdog team, why not pick the team and the spread at the same time? Think about it. If they're the underdog, in order for them to win the game all right on the money line, they have to cover the spread because they have to win the game. So it's a little simple trick on an app like FanDuel or something like that. Do the money spread, do the money line and the point spread for the underdog because it'll double your odds and you'll make crazy money on less of a bet. So, you know, instead of putting ten or instead of putting a hundred dollars in, maybe you pull out one ten. If you do money line and the point spread, you may can put fifty dollars in and pull out two hundred. Depending on what the odds are. I haven't looked, but depending on what the odds are, um, you can do that. And same thing. So if you're picking a favorite, do the money line and the point spread. Again, the odds have to double. So that is something to definitely look at if you're in parlays, trying to make a lot of money on a small amount of bets. Now, for this, again, I would go Tampa Bay there to win the game all right. So therefore, Tampa and the point spread. And for the second game, the second game is the interesting one because I, I think the Chiefs are going to win this game by three or four. It's not a three and a half. If it was a three and a half, I would definitely go Buffalo here. It's a three, and because it is a three, I would go Kansas City here because I would give more credence to Kansas City winning the game than Buffalo, and I think they're going to do it by three or four. Again, the three and a half, but I always, I always talk about the hook. The hook is the half. The hook half would make it interesting, but because it's a flat three, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs here to win by three or more, so I'm going to go with the Chiefs there. So just to, like I said, quick recap, Tampa Bay over Green Bay, straight up. So remember, do the point spread and the money line for them. And then Kansas City, I would do the same money line and point spread. Put them all four in the same thing. You have a nice little four-prong parlay, and you just need a Tampa Bay victory and a Chiefs win by four more, and you cash out pretty nicely. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down in the association. Alrighty guys, and we are back and welcome in to our discussion about the NBA. Well, we got what we were waiting on. We got the debut of the Nets Big Three. We got James Harden, we got Kyrie Irving, and we got Kevin Durant on the same court at the same time, wearing the same uniform, playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Which should be a game where, hey, we get right this game, fellas. We get our itch together, and we find out how we can be a trio, the only big three in the NBA, how we can be the most successful. Well, they can score their butts off. Kyrie went for 30-plus. KD went for 30-plus. James had a 20-point triple-double. And they lost in double overtime to Colin Sexton and the Cleveland Cavaliers, but they pretty much lost to Colin Sexton. He went absolutely absurd. He scored 42, including at one point 20 straight. He's wearing Kyrie number, Kyrie's number of two. He was wearing Kyrie's shoes. It was absolutely as young bull as young bull can get in terms of Colin Sexton's aggressiveness. He was knocking down threes all over the place. They tried Harden, didn't work. Tried Durant, didn't work. Tried Kyrie, didn't work. He gave the entire Nets big three that work. It was incredibly impressive, and the Nets lost their first game as a big three triumvirate. I, I didn't like the shot selections. Kyrie Irving shot twice as many shots as James Harden. And if, I mean, if James Harden is coming willing to be the point guard and shoot his 14 or 17 shots, set up the others, set up the other two, make sure Joe Harris is in rhythm, make sure DeAndre Jordan gets his, Harden can score whenever he wants, and he's fine getting 20-some point triple-doubles, it may work. I just don't know how they survived defensively. We saw the Bucks went for 125 or 127, something like that, on them the other day and barely mustered 100 against the Lakers. And then Cleveland was the second to last or last offense in the NBA. I know it went to double overtime. They scored 147. That cannot happen. You had Kevin Durant playing 50 minutes, Kyrie Irving fresh off a seven game hiatus or 
three week hiatus playing 48 minutes and then Harden went for basically 51 minutes and you lost you basically got blown out in the second overtime that team has a bench problem they don't have any run protection sorry DeAndre Jordan or DeAndre Jordan fans or guys who are defending DeAndre Jordan sorry DeAndre Jordan that's over you basically play Jeff Green a lot of the time a minute at the five that's not gonna work and you're basically depending on outscoring people to win that is a hard way to go and a hard life to live so we'll definitely be looking at the Brooklyn Nets trying to figure out a way to put this situation together now there has been a few standout players this year specifically Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood Jeremy Grant obviously signed that big deal to go to Detroit leaving Denver and it looks like that was a great move for his career he's averaging career high in points He's up there near his career high or has career high in rebounds and assists, and he's playing very efficiently. Now, the Pistons suck. The Pistons are horrible. They're 3-10, and they're the worst team in the NBA, bar none. But Jamie Green is playing excellent basketball for the Pistons. Hopefully, he plays this year, ups his trade value, and then gets his way to a pretty good team in the next offseason. Already having signed the contract with Detroit, he'll be able to keep his money. Now, Christian Wood has finally found a home. And his home appears to be the Houston Rockets. Now they're using him very well. He's rewarding them with near, or he's rewarding him with the, he's rewarding the Rockets rather with a career year in terms of points and rebounds and efficiency. And he's absolutely playing spectacularly and really over his skis. I'm not going to say he can't keep up this level of production, but Christian Wood is playing very well. And of course, my current selection for the MVP. Joel Embiid he is absolutely out of his mind now I got Joel Embiid followed by LeBron followed by Luca probably but Joel Embiid is playing out of his mind right now every time there's a big game there's a big challenge you can pretty much book Joel Embiid for 35 and 10 he is dominating the paint he's making Shaq proud as the president of the big man association and the words of Shaq he is absolutely dominating no one can guard him he just abused the celtics lack of size with no daniel tice I mean, with daniel tice and tristan thompson but without l horford there was no one there to contend with joel Embiid, and so he was able to definitely take advantage of those guys they play again today or tomorrow so we'll be able to see if he does it again but he was absolutely dominant He's, his jump shot's falling, and when the jumper's falling, he's absolutely unguardable because he has one of the best post-up games in the NBA. So congratulations to Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid for definitely pulling that out of him. Seth Curry's going crazy for that Sixer team as well. And then you look at Ben Simmons, who needs to get a little bit more aggressive, but he's playing well being the full-time distributor. As for the Lakers, they played the Bucks, which was the matchup of the number two seeds, respectively, in the conferences, and the Lakers handled the Bucks. The Bucks were there early, but at no point in the second and a half, really, that I feel like the Lakers were going to lose that game. LeBron James was raining threes all over the place, and although Giannis was dominant early, he seemed to trail off late, and I didn't really see him a lot late. Anthony Davis is still kind of lollygagging through the season. He's already entered championship mindset where he has to win in the playoffs. The regular season no longer matters for him. And so it was definitely a great game to watch last night on TNT. But taking a peek at the standings as of this morning, you have the 76ers at one, followed by the Celtics, Bucks, Pacers, Nets, Hawks, Cavs, Knicks, Magic, Heat, and on the Western Conference, you have the Lakers at one, followed by the Jazz, who are absolutely rolling and won seven straight, including their last two over the Pelicans. You've got the Clippers, Suns, Blazers, Grizzlies, Warriors, Spurs, Mavs, and Nuggets. Now, that is an absolutely loaded Western Conference. I mean, they're separated by a game and a half to two games from three through eight, I believe. And so one win, one loss drops you from three to seven. I mean, it is absolutely spectacular and loaded out west. And that's what we love to see in the NBA and professional sports in general. And now up next, we're going to shift to our best for last, which is going to be the NFL coaching carousel.
Alrighty guys, welcome into our best for last, which is the NFL coaching carousel. Obviously, we started off the season with seven openings. We are now down to one, the Houston Texans. Dan Campbell, who was the assistant head coach slash tight ends coach for the New Orleans Saints, has been introduced and hired as the Detroit Lions head coach. He's being called the dude. He also had arguably one of the most interesting introductory press conferences where he was talking about biting off kneecaps and getting punched in the face and smiling. And it was very, uh, say, Vince McMahon of him in the press conference. But it, it was it got the city buzzing. It got the league buzzing, talking about what the heck is Dan Campbell got going on in Detroit. He's only been there for 24 hours. So that was great for him. Nick Sirianni, offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, has been hired as the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, he runs a system very similar, coaching stylistically very similar to that of Frank Wright, who is the offensive coordinator for the Eagles during Carson Wentz's MVP year. Sirianni was actually the offensive coordinator for the Colts under Frank Wright as Frank Wright was the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. So obviously there's a connection there to Carson Wentz. Obviously the Eagles have a quarterback quandary to be kind uh, with the Eagles. So Nick Sirianni's first and probably main focus for the next few weeks and for, for the first offseason is going to be trying to figure out what the heck to do with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers have hired Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley to lead their franchise. Uh, the 38-year-old has a rapid rise to success throughout the NFL ranks. And so he will be accepting the, he had accepted the Chargers job and already trying to do the rounds in terms of media and stuff like that. Uh, Frank Sala, sorry, Robert Sala has accepted the New York Jets head coaching job. He was the San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator Arthur Smith former Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator has accepted the Atlanta Falcons head coaching job along with the Falcons having a new general manager and Terry Fontenot who was in New Orleans for years as one of their assistant general managers and Urban Meyer yes coaching legend Urban Meyer has returned he obviously accepted the Jacksonville Jaguars job and also has a new general manager as well. And he will be looking to turn around the Jacksonville Jaguars rather quickly. But that leaves one opening. Just the one, the Houston Texans. Now, they are interviewing Eric enemy among other candidates. If I'm any candidate that's worth anything, I'm saying thanks but no thanks. I'm good on even the interview and we will never talk ever again in life. The, the Texans are a cesspool. Why waste valuable time of your career, especially for a guy like Eric Bieniemy? Brian Day wouldn't get the Chargers job, and uh, some sources starting to say that Tom Telesco was going to, it, it came down to Brandon Staley of the Rams or Brian Dable of the Bills for the Chargers job. So once Dable didn't get the Chargers job, he was secret out. If I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm Seacrest out already. I'm good. I don't want the Texans job. You didn't interview me when you had the chance. It wasn't until Deshaun Watson raised the fuss that you decided to even think about interviewing me. I'm good. I'll just wait till the next hiring cycle. Next hiring cycle could have some very talented teams on that list. You have Arizona. So as an offensive coach, you can get Kyler Murray. You have the Cincinnati Bengals probably. Ooh, you can end up with Joe Burrow or possibly I should say. You could have the Dallas Cowboys end up with Dak Prescott and a pretty decent roster with the Dallas Star attached to your name. You could have a couple of other talented football teams with some potential, good young quarterbacks with openings. Why would I strap myself to the Houston Texans franchise, which seems to be a fast sinking ship? I'm good if I'm Eric Bieniemy. I'm good if I'm Brian Dable, who's already said no. I'm good if I'm Joe Brady. I'm okay. I'll just stay where I'm at. Another year of coordinating. Another year of making a couple million dollars to coordinate pretty good teams in regards to Dable with Allen, being me with Mahomes. Brady obviously has got a nice track record. He's getting his name out there. Josh McDaniels, he's in New England. He's good there. I mean, if you're a good quality candidate, there's no reason to rush down the aisle to marry the Houston Texans because you'll be divorced in a couple of years. 
And so I don't know who the Texans gonna hire. They may have to pull somebody out of the ranks. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna figure out. I don't know what they're gonna do. We'll, we'll be watching that situation closely. But that is all we have for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys come back next week. Like I said, tell your friends. We do this thing weekly. Follow the Twitter page at Daytime Sports and subscribe on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.